0: begin. Sometimes we want to love. Sometimes we want to love, but we don't know how. We don't know how. And it's helpful to know what is expected of us or what does loving look like. You must love God. Yes. How? You must love God's people. Yes. How? I want to love God. It's not it's not, not the issue of whether I want to or not. I want to. I want to live a loving life. I want to be a loving person. But how do I do that? So When trying to maintain intimacy with God, it is even more so as we find ourselves guessing our way through relationships, guessing our way through relationships, when we're trying to maintain intimacy with God. So we're trying to figure out how this whole thing works with God, how this whole thing works with others. I see in these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, three beautiful expressions or examples of loving God, examples of loving God. And we already want to do this. I'm not even going to you know, question the fact of our motivation, whether we want to do it. We do want to do it. The question is how? How do we get around to it? Where do we begin? And we are grateful for the love of God. We're grateful for the covenant love of God. So now, getting into the action of loving, What does it look like? Let's begin. We're in chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. In chapter 12, we've got the story of Mary, and Lazarus, Mary breaking the alabaster box of ointment. Then in chapter 13, we have the famous John 13 passage where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And John 14, we have certain teaching where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about uh, obedience and stuff like that. And we'll, we'll just pick that up from there. Okay? There are three ways that I would like to present to you this morning. How, how, to, love, how to love God back. Has God loved you? Yes, he has. Has he been incredibly... Uh, generous to you, incredibly gracious to you, lavish to you? Yes, he has. How do I love God back? The first one is to give Jesus your very best. This time I've given you notes and you don't even have to fill out anything. I didn't keep some space in case wisdom hits you and the Spirit of God gives you extra download, separate installments, updates, I don't know. Yeah, so you can write that down, feel free to do that. But I just went ahead and gave you the whole thing this morning. Give Jesus your very best. Now, that's a typical thing you would hear whenever we talk about Mary breaking the alabaster box of ointment. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So we got a week before the Passover. Jesus has gone back to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. This time Lazarus is alive. And this is so cool. They're throwing a dinner for Jesus. Jesus is back in town. Lazarus is reclining. This guy's taken a trip to the Gravel back. And he's reclining there eating the food. Martha, of course, she's serving. And Mary, Mary is up to her you know, her, her expression of worship. And it's all time best. So remember the scenario. This is, remember scenario. This is the situation where Jesus is in their house. This is in Mary's house this is in their celebration and he's come to visit the family but you also have in the following verses that many others had come why they wanted to see Jesus he was back in town but more than that there was this new star Lazarus is back from the grave still we haven't heard a thing from Lazarus poor chap hasn't said one word yet all we know is where he is and what he is doing Last time he was in the grave, now he's eating with Jesus. Okay, so Lazarus is reclining next to Jesus. Martha is serving. Mary was present there and she brings out of the blue an alabaster box of ointment and anoints Jesus with her, uh, uh, with that and then wipes it with her hair. Wipes it with her hair. That perfume was spikenard. Jaka It is from the... Food from the high 3,000 to 5,000 feet in the Himalayas from India and it's it's imported from there and she did about one pound of a, a pint which would have cost about 3,000 rupees at that time which is a year's wages just <laughs> Jagaramansi mm-hmm. Loving what God back is pure mm-hmm. gratitude it's pure gratitude the gratitude is proportional to how much you believe God has done for you how much you believe God has forgiven you how much you believe God has restored you how much you believe God has enriched you when you're giving back to God you're not calculating you're not thinking oh you know how much am I giving counting this amount counting that time count you are giving in proportion as much as you can help to what he has given you so your giving reflects your gratitude your giving reflects your gratitude we give to God our very best we give to God what is most valuable. We give to God what is most precious, what is most beautiful. She brought up the most precious thing that she had, I would assume. She brought up what cost the earth for her at that time, broke it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. When you do that, when you give God your very best, when you seem to waste your blessing on God, and giving God back, people will mock you people who, not the world not the politicians people in the church they will mock you because there's always someone smarter in the house in the church at the dinner who thinks they know a better way that you could have spent your talent that you could have spent your money that you could have spent your resources they will say it's a waste they will suggest what they think is a better use of your efforts and your influence let's go but but Judas Iscariot do you know this guy yeah he was the accountant Matthew was the one with the qualifications this one was the one with the bag you know the money bag Judas Iscariot one of his disciples who was about to betray him in brackets just throw that in why was this not sold for 300 dinar and given to the poor wow. what a thought what a thought so you want them not to give it to jesus directly you want to put it into the bank account <clears throat> you want to put it into the money bag so that you will then have control over the process of where that goes and of course once that alabaster of ointment is sold, you get 300 denarii according to our man's estimation. And once 300 comes in, only the Lord knows how much is actually going to go to the poor. But somebody gets to influence that process. And according to him, that is a better way to do it. That's a better way. How do we know this? Because in the latter verses it says, it says, for he used to handle the money and he was a thief and he used to take money out of the money bag in that passage. So he had a plan. He had a plan. I'm not making parallels to church. I'm not making parallels to Christian organizations. I am making a parallel to the the, the natural instinct of people towards your gift and offering to God. That's what I'm doing. Don't forget about not. Don't just think about Mary. Think also uh, think about Lazarus. Don't forget about Lazarus. Lazarus himself was an incredible. Gift. His, his, his life was an incredible gift. Many Jews were now visiting, not only because of Jesus, but because Lazarus was there. He had come, he's the man who came back from the grave. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus too. T double. Why? Jesus was enough trouble. Now we got another guy coming back from the grave who's also trouble. And what's the problem with him? He hasn't said a word, eh? What's the problem with him? Because on account of him, the Bible says, many of the Jews were believing in Jesus. Now I just stopped there, and I stared at that verse. I said, Lord, what did Lazarus say? Did he preach? No. Did he start the last international ministries? No. Did he go about doing concerts? No. Did he give lots of money to the poor? Did he uh, start up uh, social action and mercy ministries? No. Are all these things wrong? No. But as I stared at Lazarus, just reclining at Jesus' feet and talking to Jesus, the man has done nothing. And many Jews were coming to Jesus. And that spoke to me saying, without a single word, his testimony was impacting. Without doing a thing, his life was a witness. So life begins at birth life begins at birth but the resurrected life begins after death the resurrected life begins after death and your witness my witness is the resurrected life my witness is not the gospel the gospel is god's message to what will change people's lives are you getting the difference what i'm trying to make here okay what i'm saying is we think that the gospel the the output of our life is that message and we are the messenger and that is the message we are the message we are the prototype we are the example we are the, the demonstration of resurrected life all Lazarus had to do was stay alive the very fact that he was now alive back from the grave his resurrected life was the witness so Lord what you're actually saying is the powerful witness to many who were now believing in Jesus through Lazarus was actually done by you, not by Lazarus. Did you get the point? Did you get the point? God is the one who makes our life impacting. And it is always, always post-death. It's post-death. It is the resurrected life of Christ. Everybody wants to get to heaven. I used to sing the song when I was in the band. Everyone wants to get to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> Everybody wants to have the resurrected life and live out the resurrected life, but nobody wants to die. The resurrected life, the greatest witness of all, is post-death, post-death, when Jeremy Dawson falls to the ground and dies. And it's the end of his ego, it's the end of his his ambitions, it's the end of his lusts and desires and wants. When he is truly, well and truly nailed in his coffin, then only is there a potential for a resurrection. The resurrection is not a gradual process, over 20 years. <laughs> Lazarus went into the grave, the Lazarus rose up from the grave. And that is God's work in our life. That's good news. That's good news. So you don't have to go and book up a witness. You are the witness. And let the life of Christ flow through you. What does that look like? We'll talk about it later. The greatest thanks we can give to God is to be like Him. So if he has been lavish with us in his provision, we need to be lavish with him in our worship. When we how we worship and when we worship shows how much we think God has been lavished with us. When we give to those we love, when we give to those we love, our giving doesn't make sense. You know when somebody falls in love? Or when they are going shopping for a gift for somebody that they love, the giving doesn't make sense. It is not calculative. They're not thinking about either how much they've got. They have to buy is, They have to buy it. There's no inhibition. You just pour out everything when it comes to somebody you love when you want to. I was talking to Isaac the other day. And Isaac was asking me some good place to take uh, his wife for uh, for breakfast. And I said, you know, what's your budget? What's that? Oh, no cost is too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's going run anything. I'm ready anything. <laughs> said to myself, oh, you're yeah, <laughs> <laughs> You don't hold back, you don't calculate, you don't think. You just give. And what am I trying to say here? You look a little crazy. You look a little crazy. You look a little out of control. And people will try and pull you under control and say, you're going nuts about this Jesus. You, you, you're, going, you, you're, not, you're not being wise. You're not being practical about the way you're giving your life to God. You need to be a little bit more down to earth. Pun intended. <laughs> because the one whom we are giving to outvalues anything we can possibly give. One pint of Janamansir, do it! Because Jesus is more valuable. Jesus is more precious. Number one, give your best to Jesus. That is so cliched, but rethink that think about it afresh when you say give your best to Jesus you're saying you don't when it comes to Jesus no calculations no thinking if he wants it if he needs it if that's what's going to uh, reflect your love just go for it just go for it number two choose the towel number two choose the towel moving into chapter 13 The second way to love God is to serve people. And you're very familiar with chapter 13 and chapter 14. So I'm not going to spend so much time here. The second way to love God is to serve people. You already knew that. Your tangible service, you tangibly serve God. Let me say this again. You tangibly serve those whom God loves. Think about what I'm saying here. How do I tangibly serve God, a God who I cannot see? I tangibly serve God who I cannot see by serving people, who God loves. Who God loves. So if I was to take Joshua and look after him and take him out and buy him ice cream and look after and give him a great day, and I would I would absolutely I would be lavish with Joshua and i take care of Joshua. Joshua is uh, Pastor Shanus' son. And I would do that and I will send him back to you. Would you not be loved by me? Because I showed love to someone whom you how do we tangibly love God? By loving the people whom God loves. By loving the people whom God loves. Con- con- in, contrast to that, in contrast to that, Satan hits out at the people whom God loves. That's how he gets back at God. So let's get our lesson from Satan. How does Satan get back at God? He hits out at the ones God's love. How do we show love to God? by being lavish with the ones whom God loves. It works, it works. Serving is being Christ-like to Christ, to people. Serving is being Christ to people. It's not whether they deserve it or not. Most believers don't deserve to be served.
1: Most believers, most
0: believers, almost all believers are living the regular, technical, self-centered, self preserving self-preservating earthly life. Most believers, their life is no different to anybody else, except that on Sunday morning instead of sleeping and they come to church. And even that, on many levels, means some personal means. Are believers worthy of service, worthy of shepherding, worthy of uh, generosity, worthy of extra care and love and attention? No, nobody is. Nobody is. Neither am I. Why do we do it? Why should we do it? Because that's how we show God's love. And worship is the fragrance of everybody showing God's love by serving everybody else and sooner or later they catch on we love Jesus and we love like Jesus we love Jesus and we love like Jesus so it is not insignificant that Jesus picked up the towel to wash his disciples feet he wasn't confused about what he was doing he knew exactly what he was doing and the timing couldn't have been more significant Judas got up Judas got up and to go to the high priest after this alabaster I thing he's like I can't take this anymore he got up and to go to the chief priest to betray Jesus Jesus got up Judas got up to go to the high priest Jesus got up to get down and he got down on his knees took the towel wrapped it around his waist took off all his garments and he washed his disciples feet Number one, you need to be certain about your identity so you can be free to be a servant. Your identity is not your servant, servanthood. You're not a servant by identity, you're a servant by, by job description. The job requires the floor is filthy, sweep it. The bathroom is dirty, clean it. Whatever is the need, do that. So Jesus is talking about service. And when he says service he's not saying that's who you are that's why you should do it he's saying know who you are and that's why you should do it verse 13 chapter 13 verse 3 Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hand look at it underline it Jesus knowing that's a that's certainty there Jesus knowing what did Jesus know that the father had given all things into into him, that pretty much makes him boss of the universe. Because the Father had given all things under his command. In that moment, sitting there in that home with the disciples, right? Jesus knows that he is Lord of the universe. And what is the next thing he does? Alright, everybody, line up! This is what we're gonna do. This is how we're gonna No. The first thing he does is he gets on his knees. And he washes his disciples feet. You need to be certain. Jesus knowing that the father had given all things in his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. See there are certain things that need to be in place otherwise when you act like a servant, people will treat you like a servant, then you will get upset and then you will leave the ministry. He knew that he'd come from God, he knew that he was going back to God, so he rose after supper. The second thing is you need to take the position of a servant in order to serve others. The position of a servant is down, the position of a servant is at the bottom, the position of a servant is lower than you. I can't serve you in washing your feet without getting low, without bending. If my back is not willing to bend, if I'm not willing to get on the ground, if I'm not going to get close to your feet, I'm not going to wash it. I'm not going to wash it. There's just a simple logistics there. Logical idea there. So he laid aside his garments, took taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured the water. This is a long process here. He poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples. These guys were freaking out. They were absolutely freaking out. The Lord of the universe, the one whom they had come to believe as the savior of the world, the one who sent from God, the Messiah, is on his knees washing my feet. Oh! Of course Peter has to make a scene, so Peter did his thing, he's like no no, you will not wash my feet, and then Jesus says if I don't wash your feet you'll have nothing to do with me. Okay, 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 everything was, bathe me, bathe me, pour water, no, 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 you're not getting it Peter, you're not getting it, so anyone who's had a bath is already clean, only their feet need to be washed. Anybody who's had a bath is already clean. Only their feet need to be washed. Why? Because they've come all the way from here, to, from there to here. So in their walk, they have become filthy. In their walk, they need to be clean. Their feet need to be washed. Okay, number one. Number two, the people who washed the guests' feet were the servants. The lowest of the house slaves would be found at the entrance of the, of the house. And there with these pots of water, they would wash the people's feet as they came on. So Jesus was taking the position of the lowest servant in the house and he was talking about the importance of washing feet and he said if you're not going to be a partner with me in washing people's feet there is nothing else that you can do with me I'm not going to do anything else I'm not going to rule the world I'm not going to take over any nations I'm not going to create a new universe I'm not going to be a hero I'm not going to starve do a, be a star. I'm going to wash people's feet. If you want to be with me in the ministry, you've got to get on your knees and wash people's feet. There is no other role. There is no supervision role. There is no advisory role. There is no lordship role. There is only washing people's feet. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? Everybody, and he tells this to Peter. He tells it to Peter, Peter, you don't want me to wash your feet? You're not going to wash anybody's feet either. If you don't let me serve you, you aren't going to have a ministry. And if you don't get down and wash it with me, you don't have any partnership with me. So the partnership with Jesus in ministry is a serving partnership. It is a servant role. Jesus is going to get on his knees. Look, think, think with me. Jesus is going to get on his knees. He's going to get down and he's going to look like a servant. How can you and I think to look anywhere any different? So, you need to fulfill the ministry of Christ in washing people's feet. You can't have your own ministry, you can't concoct your own idea of how you want to serve God. There is only one service and that service is to wash people's feet. Now what does it mean to wash people's feet? What does it mean to wash people's feet? There has to be meaning to it. There are some churches in the US, some churches around the world that are, are practicing this and they, they call it foot washing. And cute it's cute and it's very it is great sense of humility and you know we have done it in the camp we've also done it my, uh, my wife and I we have washed the whole all the campus feet we've done it but I don't think there's any point to it I don't think there is any meaning to it verse 8 Jesus answered if I do not wash your feet you have no share with me verse 10 the one who has bathed does not need to be washed The one who is wearing shoes doesn't need to wash his feet. Except for his feet, but it's completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. He's talking about students. The washing of feet, your ministry has to be meaningful, (laughs) not just menial. Servanthood just doesn't mean doing menial things. Let me be a servant. Let Let me put out the chairs, because that's what servants do. Let me do this. No, 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 it's not just doing menial things. Servanthood is serving a cause serving a purpose and if the feet are dirty then what is the purpose wash the feet but today we're wearing shoes so you don't need to wash feet it is not the, the what is the need today and what is the parallel what is the picture you are already bathed. you are clean he says to Peter but your feet need to be washed he's talking about everybody's walk that we serve one another by keeping each other's feet clean By keeping each other's walk clean by serving one another so that we stay accountable and maintain our walk with God our service needs to be meaningful not just meaning medium D you need to set an example and teach others to serve too many believers and pastors they believe that they have been called into ministry and everybody else is the recipient of their ministry but they don't teach others to serve so forty years later the same pastor the same leaders are doing the same thing and everybody else is just sitting there with one leg on top of another hands forward everyone just receiving the ministry receiving the ministry
1: you ask them what
0: happened or what else are we paying them for that's what we're paying them for you need to set an example and teach others how to serve to Verse 12, do you understand what I have done for you? Peter said, John Jesus says to Peter, I'm the disciples. Do you understand what I have done for you? So after doing this, he got up, he sat down, it says he resumed his place, he got up, he sat down and he began to teach. You do ministry and then you teach how to do ministry. You do ministry and then you teach how to do ministry. You do ministry and then you teach how to do ministry. Do ministry, to do ministry. What ministry will you teach? You you teach the ministry that you have just done. If you're not teaching any ministry, it's because you haven't done anything. (laughs) What do you teach? Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so I am. If I It's not humility to think only you have been called to ministry we must disciple people into a life of service, service. from the day they walk in that door we will teach them how to minister what ministry will you teach the ministry that you have been doing the ministry you've been doing number three nothing spells love for God better than good old-fashioned obedience nothing spells love for God better than good old-fashioned obedience run through these three verses with me John chapter 14 verse 15, if you love me you will do what? I'll keep my commandments. Let's do it again, if you love me, you will John chapter 14 verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is who loves me. Okay, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. You want a close walk with God? You have to obey. You have to obey John chapter 14 verse 23 Jesus answered him if anyone loves me he will do what keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him so the God the Father God the Son will have a personal investment in your life they will manifest themselves to you they will come to you they will make their home with you when you are obedient present it's as simple as that anyone who keeps the commandment, anyone who keeps the command <coughs> let's close The majority examples of scripture, of worship, of love for God in the Bible are in the expression of the body of Christ, are in the context of relationships. God has never asked you to go up to a mountain or give lots of money or do all those kinds of things. Everything He has asked you to do, He has asked you to do in the community. How do you love God? Loving people. How do you love God? Loving people. 1 John chapter 5 verse 1, 2, 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has become a child of God. Tense, present, perfect. Has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His yeah. commandments. If we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, verse 3. And his commandments are not burdensome. I just want to end on that thought. Please listen with me. So do we pick up the, the, the Old Testament laws? <laughs> 613 laws. Do we tie it all over and go over and write everywhere and make posters and, and memorize it? Is that what we've got to do? Do we pick up the laws of 613 talents? He says, no, the law of God is not burdensome. What does he say? So let me simplify it for you. So Jesus simplifies it. He gives a summary law and a new law. What does he do? He gives a summary law and a new law. So the 613 laws, he summarizes it into one two, and then he gives you a third, one new law. Simple. Love God and love your neighbor as your son. And the new law, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. So don't think about laws, think about love. If you think about love, you will obey the law, if you think about law, you will not be loving. Give Jesus our best. Love Jesus, love like Jesus. Give Jesus our best. That means that position that he has, that value, that love position that he has in our life, nobody else can take. And when it comes to him, nothing is too much to give. Number two, give up your pride. Give up your pride, your position, your place. Give it up for people, for purposes and for peace. And number three, chapter 14. To serve God, you need a position. To serve God, you need a position. Jesus says, the position is at the bottom. You start at the bottom. So you want to do a ministry? Just find the simplest thing to do and get involved. Father God, thank you so much for what you've taught us. Thank you, Lord God, that you have set for us an example that we should follow in your steps. This morning I pray that you give us a heart to serve and a shape to serve. Give us a heart to serve and a shape to serve. Father, we all want to serve you because we love you. And there's a part of us that wishes we had an alabaster box appointment that we just crash and anoint your feet with oil. But you have called us to a much greater thing. You've called us to wash the disciples' feet. To serve believers in following Christ and keeping a clean walk with Him. You've called us to serve alongside you. So we thank you, Lord God. We thank you. We thank you that it is the resurrected life that is our witness. We want to thank you. For the worship that many give you that helps us understand what it means to value you back, to love you back. In Jesus' name I pray.